Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast, Awaken the World. This podcast is part of an online community library we're developing, one that contains podcasts, videos, transcripts and booklets based on Michael's talks. The goal of this library and this podcast is to bring mindfulness and mental health into the spotlight. Through this work, we're creating new ways to wake up through socially engaged, conscious, spiritual practice. We're creating a culture of compassion and collaboration. We've left our physical monasteries and we're bringing them online. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to take a moment to ask you to consider becoming a patron of this podcast through Patreon. Pledging is easy and can be as little as $1 per month. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Michaelstone and click on the big orange button on the top right of the page. Thank you for listening. lovely to be here and uh, it's exciting to start what feels like a new semester uh, and also sad um, uh, every couple years we move to a new space and there's always something great about the space and also it's a little sad leaving the places that we were and whenever when we get to a new place, everyone thinks the last place was the golden era of center of gravity. It was the garage. It was a yoga queen. It was. Um, now it will be Bellwoods, I'm sure. Um, the last space had such nice floors. And I think the last night we were in it, we all, I think, spent some time looking around the room at the windows and the floors and appreciating that space. Um, so now we'll have a new space, and it's just upstairs from here. And uh, hopefully that will also have its benefit. And, uh, it's practice time. Um, so before before I keep going, I just wanted to mention uh, Nicole. Is she here somewhere? She's probably at the back. Oh, she's at the back. <laughs> um, Nicole has done so much work making sure the website's together. Uh, Center of Gravity has become a nonprofit. Um, so much of the work of organizing that with banking and administration. Um, Nicole has something called systems. Have you ever heard of this? So it's like, yeah, if you want to get something done, there's actually stages. I never knew about systems. Um, and. Uh, Right until a few minutes before people got here, she had these pages printed up with arrows on them to make sure people would get here. And um, so, Nicole, thank you so much for all of your amazing work. Clap? I don't think we've ever had clapping. <laughs> it's really good. Um, so one of the things we've done with Tuesday nights in the past few years is we've picked a theme or a text and we've gone deeply into it. So I think we worked on the first chapter of the Yoga Sutra for about a year, um, line by line, and it's not very long. Uh, we only got through the first and second chapter uh, about a year ago. Then we did the Heart Sutra, 
then last January we did an essay by the Zen teacher Norman Fisher called The Eight Stages of Relationship, which was really fun. Um, pain, it was really tragic also, because we saw ourselves. Um, and then we picked the hardest thing to study, uh, the Lotus Sutra. And that took from February to June. And we didn't even do every chapter. Um, at one point when Stephen Batchelor came to visit, he was with one of our students in an elevator and said, why are you studying the Lotus Sutra? And the students wanted, because we're in love. <laughs> so uh, for those of you that were here for that, it was really wonderful. And if you weren't here, all of the audio talks of every chapter are about to go online. And Mike transcribed and put together um, uh, all the talks online in the notes or archive section. Notes? In the notes section of the website. And you can go back and read all about the Lotus Sutra. Um, please do. Yeah. So uh, this month there are actually two topics because in the five-day intensive coming up in September, we're going to look at the, a short chant called The Identity of Relative and Absolute. Uh, but for us on Tuesday nights, we're going to work through the third chapter of the Yoga Sutra. The excitement is tremendous. <laughs> and, uh, um, this is the chapter uh, that most people skip. Um, it's the chapter on the supernatural powers. So uh, just like the Lotus Sutra, by the end of the chapter, you too will have supernatural powers. I've also learned recently that everybody wants to lose five pounds. <laughs> and so I guarantee you will also lose five pounds. I don't know how I'm going to do that yet. Part of the supernatural powers. So the Yoga Sutra is a text that was written, or not written, but it was compiled over many centuries, uh, starting about four or five hundred years after the Buddha's death. And it brings together some of the strands of the dominant philosophy at that time. It was a dying philosophy at that time, rather, called Sankhya Yoga, which I'm not going to get into too much right now, uh, and some of the teachings of the Buddha. And so there's always been a tension in the Yoga Sutra because nobody really knows whose text it is. Uh, sometime the Buddhists have wanted it to be a Buddhist text, but it doesn't really work as a Buddhist text because of some of the vocabulary in it. And the Vedanta people want it to be a Vedanta text, but it's got Buddhist vocabulary in it. So they have to dance around that a little bit. And because of that, you don't see statues of Patanjali. There are no priests in the tradition of Patanjali. There are no temples to Patanjali. Because um, it's a very challenging text because all through the text, it contradicts itself, which is why I love it so much. And so every time you think you know where he's going, he flips things around. And one of the most important themes that we've explored is he also misreads traditional terms. So the common term in India at the time in all uh, religious texts was this term moksha. Have you heard about this? It's like 
everywhere. Um, and the term moksha literally means enlightenment or freedom or liberation. Etymologically, moksha is the last phase of an eclipse. So when, for example, the uh, moon is in front of the sun, uh, as they're splitting away from each other, that last phase uh, is called moksha. And so Patanjali does something very interesting where he takes this term, (coughs) freedom or enlightenment, and he just doesn't use it. He just doesn't use it. And instead, he replaces it with the goal of becoming purusha. Uh, Because most of the translators into English of the word purusha um, had a kind of Judeo-Christian investment in the kind of dichotomous way of thinking about the text, uh, that word purusha always ended up being translated as spirit. So the goal is to be one with spirit. That's the paying attention alarm. So if you're not paying attention, (laughs) come back. Um, But the word purusha actually means a person. It's a kind of a radical thing to say, that the goal of our practice is to become a person. I think most of us, when we think of spiritual practice, we think of uh, getting out of this, Mm -hmm. uh, getting out of the body and being free from all the habits and the neuroses of being a person. But actually, for Patanjali, the goal of practice is to become a person. And maybe you could say this is also the goal of healthy community is to actually uh, be relating to people. One thing we talked about during the Lotus Sutra was Dogen's favorite term from the Lotus Sutra, that the teachings only can happen between a Buddha and a Buddha. And in Zen, this is called face-to-face transmission. Uh, We could say Patanjali is emphasizing the same thing. This term actually comes from a story where the Buddha is sitting with a Sangha and he wants to give a teaching on interdependence. And so he picks up a flower and he looks at the flower and it kind of catches him. And then he looks up around the room and Mahakashyapa in the corner lifts an eyebrow and smiles. In other words, he's on the wavelength. And then the Buddha and Mahakashyapa smile together. And then the Buddha says, Mahakashyapa understands the teaching outside of the scriptures. And so this uh, gets picked up in the Zen tradition and becomes face-to-face transmission. In other words, the heart of this practice doesn't come from learning the right way of doing the incense or sitting retreat after retreat after retreat, but it comes actually through your face, through face-to-face transmission. Um, And some of us who are actually on the path of trying to be people know that it's very hard 
to give your face. It's really uh, can be challenging. It's much easier to look away or to give your social face. But how many of us find it challenging to actually give, give our face? And so it's said that this is the heart of how this practice is transmitted, uh, face to face. Just like the way the Buddha picked up this flower and took in Mahakashipa's face. Um, when another face is present, it's hard to kill. Um, and it seems like generosity just arises naturally. Bernie Glassman, uh, when I was taking him to the airport, um, um, I miss Bernie Glassman today. I woke up this morning and something seemed different. And then I realized I didn't smell like a cigar. <laughs> Um, when I was driving him to the airport uh, I was asking about Allen Ginsberg because Bernie Glassman and Allen Ginsberg were close friends and um, he was telling me that um, when Allen Ginsberg went into the hospital to, when he was ill to find out that he was going to die the doctor said you have one month to live. So Allen Ginsberg left the hospital, went straight home, called Bernie, and said, Bernie, I have a month to live. He actually ended up not having a whole month. Bernie, I have a month to live. What can I do for you? I'm calling all my friends because I have a month to live, and I want to know what I can do for them. I didn't have anything to say until we got to the airport. Um, usually we think, you know, when we're dying, it's like that's the time to collect everything, bring everyone together, you know, who's going to do that, who's going to get, you know, this done for me, who's going to get my will done for me. Uh, to be able to have the spirit of this practice, which I think is this face-to-face -face transmission, um, to be able to serve in that way where the goal of our practice is to become a person, I think is really um, an important rereading of how we often think of uh, religion or mysticism. So anyways, Patanjali begins the third chapter of the Yoga Sutra, which he calls superpowers, uh, with one simple sentence, and that's what I wanted to go through tonight. Um, it's a sentence mainly about meditation practice, but I'm not sure. So here's the sentence. Um, and next week I'm going to have handouts for everybody. And we're going to look at the Sanskrit, uh, too. So the sentence is, uh, dharana, which means um, concentration or meditation, is fixing the mind in one place. That's usually how it's translated. Doesn't that sound so simple? Uh, meditation is fixing the mind in one place. Um, the word for mind is not manas, which actually literally means mind. It's actually chitta, which more means your attention. So, so getting the attention into one place. But interestingly, and I think we talked about this 
maybe it was in the uh, in, in the last intensive. The word that's translated as place is desha. Um, those of you who are yoga teachers might know this. Uh, in every yoga pose, there's a gazing point. Uh, in traditional poses, there's nine different gazing points: the thumbnail, the navel, between the eyes. Um, and you hear in the yoga postures, you know, the gazing point. But actually, the word for point is also desha. And the word desha literally means a field. Uh, just like Bangladesh is the field of Bangla. So I think when we have this idea of like gazing at a point, we think of concentration doing this, you know, going inward. Um, I was told recently that when Air, Air Force pilots... Um, finish a run. I don't. I don't know what it's called, but they they, they finish their maneuvers. Uh, they're not allowed to leave the base for 24 hours. They're not supposed to drive because they're so exhausted. Um, so that's not concentration. That's that's not the kind of concentration Patanjali is talking about, where you you take your gaze and you intensely look at something. You know. Um, Concentration is settling the mind or your attention in a field. You see, do you hear the difference? It's relaxing. Okay, so, so rather than going after an object, we're settling back and we're taking in a whole field. Can you hear the difference? Being able to sort of receive the field. So he's saying here, concentration or meditation is when attention can settle in a field. Now, if you settle your attention in a field, it doesn't mean nothing's happening. Lot, lot, there's a lot happening. Um, the field is moving. So I think a lot of times when we start meditating, we think, okay, I'm supposed to meditate, and there's not supposed to be any thoughts or anything moving through the field. Here Patanjali is saying, concentration or meditation is just settling on the field. Um, maybe this is similar to what Bernie Glassman called bearing witness. So Bernie was saying, when you have the ability to approach something without superimposing what you know, then you can bear witness. So the first step, not knowing, means giving up fixed ideas about yourself and others. Giving up fixed ideas about what you're observing. And then you can bear witness. You can open up to the field of experience. You can't bear witness if you know, if you, if you know already. <coughs> and when you come at something knowing already, it prevents you from having even the experience that you want. D don't we do this sometimes? We, we do things to prevent us from having the experiences we want. Has anyone ever done this before? There's a lot of music in here tonight. Um, here's what Dogen says. Do not think that practice leads to the other shore. Because there is practice on the other shore... And when you practice, the other shore arrives. I'll read that again. 
don't think practice leads to the other shore because there is practice on the other shore. When you practice, the other shore arrives. And of course, some of you might know there's a good Sufi joke about this where there's a guy on the riverbank and he sees the other shore and so he yells out, um, is that the other shore? And there's a guy on the other shore saying, you are on the other shore. (laughs) Um, So this is the opposite of meditation. Do not think practice leads to the other shore because there is practice on the other shore. Who are you to think that's not practicing over there? Um, When you practice, the other shore arrives. Dogen goes on in that same essay, and I know some of you know this because we've studied it, um, to say that you don't practice to get enlightened, you practice because you're enlightened. And it counts when you see what you see, when you hear what you hear. So when you practice, the other shore arrives. I wanted to spend a little time on this statement. When you practice, the other shore arrives. Practice what? And what do you imagine is the other shore? If, if Desha is a field and I'm deciding what's there and analyzing it, I'm not settling my attention on the field. But if I'm practicing, the other shore arrives. What does that mean? So what I'd like you to do is I want you to, maybe we can just split into groups, like maybe three people. And I just want you to explore together for about five minutes. What does this mean? Uh, I'm going to read the sentence again. If I had a blackboard, I'd write. We should get a blackboard in the news. <laughs> um, when you practice, the other shore arrives. When you practice, the other shore arrives. Can we talk about that for a few minutes? Yeah. Okay. So pick a group of the most enlightened people you can find around you. Or no, no. People who seem more like people. If they don't seem like they're a person, don't choose them. Uh, And make your own little club, three people. Uh, When you practice, the other shore arrives. Do not think practice leads to the other shore because there is practice on the other shore. When you practice, the other shore arrives. So basically our methodology for the Yoga Sutra, don't tell anybody we're going to do this. 
This is like re this is too interdisciplinary. But we're actually going to go through the third chapter of the Yoga Sutra, and we're going to use koans the whole time to go through it. Um, don't tell anybody. <laughs> like Georg Feuerstein or something. Uh, okay, so when you practice, the other shore arrives. What did you come up with? It, it, you don't have to figure this out. Just the idea is just to be marinated in it, you know. So what what did you what did you come up with? What did you see in your face to face transmissions? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. One of the things that we were talking about um, was, well, the first thing that sort of jumped at me when I was listening to that um, statement was the word other. Other. And how it sort of inherently separates you from whatever you're describing as mm -hmm. such. Uh, and uh, I think many of us understand our practice is sort of bringing us into union with all things, or, uh -huh. or sort of a sense of interconnectedness. Can, can you hear back there? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that idea that there is no other shore. Mm -hmm. It's just oneness. And then the practice brings us into that mm -hmm. oneness and those distinctions. Mm -hmm. Dissipate. And yet, uh, you have to get over there, don't you? I mean, it's one shore, and there's another shore over there, isn't there? Good. So, someone else. Yes. comes to us means that the Buddha nature is within. So it's not that we have to be or do something other than ourselves, but through practice, it's sort of like our true nature um, yeah, um, mm -hmm. emerges or, or, you know. Mm -hmm. um, well, we had several ideas seem similar to like what some of the things people were saying. Um, Speaking for myself, I had this idea that, you know, imagine you're trying to get something, you're worrying, so you're trying to get to a place of not worrying, uh -huh. and that would be a shore. <laughs> but then somehow I, I thought something like the practice of settling, you might find you're just not worrying now. So something like that seemed like a, a way of understanding um, this idea that it, can, it comes to you. Uh -huh. And maybe like what we all talked a lot about was this idea that um, you're already there, as people, people said. Uh -huh. If the other shore is worry, I am worrying. No, if the other shore is not worrying. So I'm oh, the other shore is not worrying. I'm worrying now, and I wish I could not stop worrying. Uh -huh. That would be the shore. Uh -huh. um, and then it's just, say, settling on, on the worry, even I might find that I'm actually not worrying. I'm, I'm attending. Uh -huh. So it's only there. Uh -huh. Who's there? Well, <laughs> not worrying is Because that's a strange thing about the other shores. You look across the shore, but we all know the land goes. Wah. 
Oh, but that other shore, that's not me. <laughs> Thank you. So, Aaron? Um, I just had this um, feeling like there was this, the idea of having this rushing other substance, which is the river between me on this shore and this other shore that I wish to get to, that um, I just thought it was such a beautiful image that you're there doing your practice on this shore, and then suddenly somehow this land moves towards you and is suddenly under your feet. Mm-hmm. And so, but there's not, I mean, I guess it's an extension of there's not somewhere literally to get to, yeah. like that this, the land's moving to arrive, like under your feet, mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. I, I also understood it as um, it's all coming from you. Mm-hmm. And um, and it made me think of this awesome children's book, The Wizard of Artsy. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a scene where he's facing the shadow and um, having to get to the other shore. Mm-hmm. And then realizing that, in essence, what he is seeking is, you know, what he's chasing and running from is all himself. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like the, the other shore often feels like the exact places that trigger us and things that we need to work on. Uh-huh. And just maybe being more ready to 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 notice to notice that, to like sit with yeah. with that. So so you both said something a little different than previously where the other shore is also, you know, what it's not just what we want to get to, it's also what we don't want. Mm-hmm. That's why it's the other shore. It sounds like you're you're saying. And when you practice it, it comes to you. Um, I don't want that to come to me. <laughs> Isn't practice supposed to, you know, keep that river there? So that's the other shore. I don't. I don't want that to come to me. I, I was. I was doing some research today, and I learned that um, about how the Buddha, when he first. Um, decided to make his community equal, he didn't want people to tell what gender the practitioners were uh, and also what class they came from. So he shaved everyone, everyone shaved their heads. But the other things they do is they took any kind of material that was um, disregarded. So if somebody menstruated on material, if it was used for animals to sleep on, any kind of, men- any kind of material that was discarded by the society is what the monks could use to make their robes. So I really like this metaphor. Yeah? That that, that stuff we think of as the other shore, when you practice, it'll come to you. That stuff you've discarded, uh, that stuff you don't want to be part of your practice, uh, your practice is a bridge um, that goes both ways. The other thing that's interesting, what Dogen's saying, it seems, is the other side's also practicing. (laughs) That stuff you think is not you, it's practicing (laughs) as well. Um, It's like hyper-realism. Uh, one other comment, and then there's a little story about this I wanted to share. Yeah. Um, we actually sort of question what is practice. Uh-huh. And 
There's a little story about this that I thought might shed some light. Um, so um, there was a um, monk who lived by a river named Joshu. Uh, mostly he was called Joe. And um, he practiced under a small bridge. Um, and this bridge became famous because it was, at the time, the largest uh, span a stone bridge in Asia. And it became known as Joshu's Bridge because Joshu slept under it and ate beside it and he did his practice by this bridge. Um, this was his home. And um, there's a little story about this that I, I thought I would uh, share with you. This is a, a story from the Blue Cliff, Cliff Record, uh, number 52, if you want to look it up. A traveling monk came across Joshu at the bridge and scoffed. For a long time I've heard about the great stone bridge of Joshu. I look around here and all I see are stepping stones. So actually this great bridge was really just stones put in the river to get from one shore to the other. And this person came expecting to see this great stone bridge of Joshu and said, what, what kind of great supernatural bridge is this or feat of architecture uh, this is just stepping stones in the water Joshu said you see the stepping stones you don't see the bridge the monk said well what's the stone bridge Joshu said it lets donkeys cross over and it lets horses cross over of course, the name for a donkey, also apparently in the Chinese, where the story comes from, is an ass. And apparently that pun was true then also. <laughs> so it lets asses cross over, it lets horses cross over. So this person comes to this bridge saying, well, where's this great bridge? Do you do this sometimes with your practice? Here's the, this meditation practice is the bridge, and I'm going to cross over from this place in my life that is filled with anxiety and depression and pain, and I'm going to use this practice to cross over. I did this once for about three years. You can do this if you don't study with a teacher. You, you just can use the practice to avoid anything that's on any other shore. Like to cut off what... I thought if you meditate, you just won't feel anything. Has anyone tried this? It actually works for a couple years. You can get away with this. And then it fails miserably. Um, but you'll see. So you see the stepping stones. You don't see the bridge. You just, you're seeing what you've been told about meditation. 
you're seeing what you've been told about spiritual practice. You don't see the bridge. What's the purpose of the bridge? Allen Ginsberg knew the purpose of the bridge. It's for helping people to cross over. What can I do for you? To, to make yourself this bridge, you practice so that you become a bridge, so that depression has a place to walk right over this bridge, so that pain can also cross over this river. You can't tell the difference anymore between the shores because you become the bridge. And isn't this the heart of this practice? When you're an ass, you can still cross over. Um, all this monk sees is this fragile, improvised stone bridge. So getting back to what Patanjali was saying, because this has been a long tangential move. Um, meditation is settling chitta, is settling consciousness in a field. So when you're in the field of discomfort, your mother is sick, you have to go do her laundry and fold her things and help her dress. A relative is in the hospital again and you're going to massage his feet. Somebody you know just needs 10 minutes to be listened to. Uh, you make yourself a bridge. Nowadays, there's this trouble in meditation where we're taking these terms like mindfulness and making them mean paying attention. But they're not just terms that have to do with paying attention. It, they're techniques that have to do with generosity, of making yourself a bridge. Um, let's retranslate mindfulness as generosity, to be able to give generous attention to what's happening in each moment. And this is the face-to-face -face transmission. You give everything a face, even what's on the other shore. You give it a face. Those parts in yourself that you don't want to give a face, you give them a face. And then, they've been practicing, so they'll come over. <laughs> if you make some room for your pain, it'll come over. It'll come over. It's practicing. It wants to come over. So don't confuse a bridge and the function of a bridge. What you think of as meditation and the function of meditation. And then you can become a person. Isn't that great? You can become a person. That's how we should advertise. Come become a person. Um, and lose five pounds. Um, so just a couple minutes for some comments or questions, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Oh, well, I can ask a question. Okay. Um, I'm curious, I don't think it's really maybe all that important in all, all the ideas we've talked about, but yeah. when you say that the other shore is there practicing, um, I don't know, I don't, I don't quite get that, like, yeah. in the sense of, 
are you suggesting that what's over there, your your other stuff, is that that um, practice, which is opening attention to a field, uh-huh. that that stuff is doing that itself, so to speak? Yeah. Like, I don't know. So, yeah. Let's. That's nice what you said, though. So let's imagine the field is practicing. That field. So you're here. I'm. I'm practicing. I'm a meditator. I'm practicing. And there's that stuff that I'm practicing on. Oh, I'm, I'm practicing on my knee. I'm practicing on that person over there. <laughs> um, to make it all better, or or whatever your fantasy is, right? But that field is practicing, which throws into question. Well, then what? What's the separation? So I like what you said there. That it, you know, is the other shore that's practicing the field? Yeah, like if you suggest it yeah. that way to me, I don't see it how it can be different. Or that the suggestion is that the field and, and awareness are not separate. Uh-huh. And it's again, like other people have said, maybe that you know, it's just an artificial distinction. So yeah, really, it's just all field and all. Oh, attention. Oh. I don't think he said that part. So just, I think I would just back up a little. Mm. So the field is practicing, Mm. but I think when you make the jump, oh, then the field and awareness and attention is all the same thing. Mm. I don't know if, I didn't hear him say that part. So maybe I would like take this now as your koan for the week. (laughs) Um, The field is practicing. Try it out. The field is practicing. I have no idea what that means. Um, but, but, yeah. Sometimes when you're, you're dealing with these texts and you get like a phrase that hooks you, I think it's good to like marinate in it. You know, just like put yourself in it until it's just as, it's there all the time like you're breathing. So, Jeff will report back. Got something to do next week. Oh my God! Now I've got to figure out how is the practice. Okay. Advanced Google search. Does anybody else want to comment? One more. Dave? You can almost think of the other shore as the shore of otherness. So it's like everything that you're rejecting is not you. The other shore is the shore of otherness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, in a sense, when you recognize that you're trying to get to the other shore, or you're trying to change what that otherness is or whatever, and you realize that you're there, it's like uh-huh. you see uh, everything that you've been same as not you. You realize that that's you too. Uh huh. Can you do that? I'm working. I'm working. How? <laughs> Maybe you and Jeff should have a conversation. Um, I'm going to finish with a little uh, verse that I wrote today. 
Whenever I get stuck on these phrases, I just try and uh, meditate on them, and then sometimes a kind of poem comes. So uh, here's my uh, response. My response. You have to do your own response. (laughs) The Buddha made his robes from garments nobody wanted. There are people in this room who are not wanted. People littered all over the city. Nobody wants them. There are asses in me that I don't want, and horses, and anger, and you? What is it that you discard? What are you getting rid of? Ah. Don't stitch it up. Look up. There is a bridge, and it's right here. There is a bridge, and it's right here. So let this be your homework. Let's finish chanting. Life and death are of supreme importance. Life and death are of supreme importance. Time passes swiftly and opportunity is lost. Time passes swiftly and opportunity is lost. Let us awaken. Let us awaken. 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 Do not squander your life. Do not squander your life. May all beings be happy. May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be safe and free from danger. May all beings be safe and free from danger. May all beings be free from their ancient and twisted karma. May all beings be free from their ancient and twisted karma. May all beings be free from every form of suffering. May all beings be free from every form of suffering. Namaste. So, thank you for being here tonight. Um, please don't forget the Donna box. Um, if you want to be in our mailing list, there's a place to put your email. Um, but please make sure uh, before you leave that you put some money in the Donna box. Um, have a nice night. Uh, don't forget that the classes start this week on Thursdays and on Sundays. Uh, Some of you, we've been emailing and talking about the membership structure that we're introducing, um, which is up apparently online. Nicole, it's all online now. Um, So you can read about it there, and then over the next few weeks I'll talk about it for those of you that have any questions about it. So thank you very much. Good night. Sleep well. Be the bridge you want to see. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.